0: Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, John McGee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, hey, friends, welcome back. Today, we're talking about excellence, which is one of the staff values that we rolled out to our staff as we continue our series. And we're going to talk about really what excellence looks like in practice. So hopefully that will be uh, helpful to you individually. This will also be one of those episodes will be a great team conversation. Uh, But then also, we want you to kind of think about what does it look like for you to articulate what it is you want to call your teams, your church to, and hopefully this will be a model. So I'm joining the studio today by John Elmore. So we're going to jump into our, our content here in a second, but John, you're one of our teaching pastors. It feels like Every Sunday, you've got a fantastic story uh, about your kids. Every every dad has got stories, but I just feel like yours are kind of like next level. So, uh, what's <laughs> particularly fresh? yeah, just you just problematic? They're, no, they're just interesting. They are uh, they are. Oh, uh, I always lean forward. It's like you know, some people. It's like, okay, this guy's gonna. It's another kid story. You know, uh, it'll be cute, things like that. But, uh, but I always perk up when uh, you talk about Judd or somebody else. So uh, do tell what's fresh, what's going on in your house, and we'll jump into the content.
1: All right. So, two weeks ago, we were, it was our fall break, and my parents never got me a BB gun as a kid. I wanted one. I really, really wanted one. They're like, no, they're dangerous. So, when it came time for me to be a parent, I'm like, I am getting my kids BB guns. And so I got a couple of them, just like nothing serious. This is like a one crank. Red Rider from Walmart. Yeah, yeah, and at uh it. So Laura and I are having coffee. We're sitting on the patio, just like chill morning, talking, super peaceful and serene. And all of a sudden our nine-year-old Hill comes running around the front porch. And he's like, Dad, Dad, it's something serious. And I don't there's a spectrum in a nine-year-old's mind of like something serious. I don't know if that means like he threw a shoe on the roof or you know, there's a dead squirrel in the road. I don't know what something serious is, but but then I remembered, well, I had given them the two BB guns, so maybe I should go see. And so I walk around the corner to the driveway.
0: Oh, so they're in the front. You've, you've got two kids out front with BB guns.
1: I, I feel a little bit of judgment. Yeah, they you you
0: clarified. You're very perceptive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were unattended, unsupervised with BB guns all by themselves. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what could happen? So I walk around to the driveway, and, and before I even see anything, I can hear something. And I literally hear this like, and and there's glass in real time falling in little bits to the ground. And Judd, our five-year-old, had shot out the back window of my Suburban. And I look at him and he's standing in the field, downrange, mind you, like down from the target. He had walked down from the little, you know, kind of bullseye, paper plate target and is now firing back past his brother and sister into my car and uh, I mean, how can you be mad? At, I'm I'm the one that gave him the. Oh, I this, mean, as my
0: kids would say, that's on you, kid. Hundred yeah. percent.
1: I like at first my reaction was towards him, and then I told Laura, I'm like, this is completely my fault. Like, who gives a BB gun to a five year old and doesn't watch them? And in my mind, I'm like, well, I taught him gun safety, but I taught him gun okay, safety well, on, when he but... was like three. Okay. <laughs> so you don't remember anything at three? You have like the the, the memory of a goldfish, and so. <laughs> He doesn't know, and his mind is like, "You never taught me anything. You just gave me a gun."
0: <laughs> I can't wait for your parenting book. Uh, I don't know what the title is. <laughs> Give him a BB gun and uh, go uh, grab coffee. I mean, what I, I could, could happen? Truly. Yeah, they, I,
1: they yeah. asked me recently. You know, oh, my. What do you want to share at the parenting okay. conference? I'm like, well, let's, I do to
0: share. Let's hope that you're more thoughtful about our topic than you are about your parenting uh, here. And so, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so <laughs> we, uh, thank you. That's the kind of, that, that's what I'm looking for. You share that on a Sunday. You're you welcome, got man. I'll we'll make uh, you feel better I, about I, your parenting. I'm dialing it. That's right. That's right. So, John, we talked about, For uh, different staff values, you and I were given the task to talk about excellence in front of our staff, and so we just want to share uh, really just the outline that we had. We we just cobbled together six points. Some of them were questions, some of them were comments, uh, warnings, and hopefully, in addition, that just the actual content uh, will be helpful to you as you think about excellence in your own ministry, your own leadership, those kinds of things. So (laughs) we started in a little bit of a downer, uh, John. Like this, this was the only this is the only value that we uh, gave a bit of a history lesson and also a warning too, which was an interesting way to start. Um, but here's effectively what we shared with with the staff. And I think it's, I think, helpful uh, as you think about excellence in, in your context. So when we think about the church, the last, you know, 50, 60 years uh, in America, the 60s were a pretty crazy time in society. Churches really turned inward. They weren't thinking about innovation. They weren't thinking about excellence, those kinds of things. And so what happened was, you know, many people came to church and were like, ah. I'm kind of out on this, which is where then the seeker sensitive uh, movement came because a lot of people weren't, coming to the church that was completely irrelevant to them the, the culture had moved and so you start to see this idea of excellence start to come into the church in the 70s you know very influential church in 1975 starts willow creek and it's actually in their stated uh, i guess maybe their uh, their values and they talk about excellence being uh, honoring to god and inspiring to others i mean it, it would have been there uh, had they had a website it would have been a front and center it was definitely in there. Uh, their documents, the way that they led and talked about their church. And so you begin to see excellence show up. And I think in, in many respects, as um, I'm not I'm not a historian, but as I think about the church landscape, in many respects, some of that was really helpful. Uh, so people began to think about what would it look like if, you know, we just talked about preaching. If we're going to preach, what would it look like to be interesting? What would it look like to bring in other elements other than just speaking? And you see lots of arts start to show up and you start to see uh, kid's ministry be much more than just flannel graphs and, you know, tart lemonade. Things like that, you see outreach that's really innovative. So this this idea actually really was helpful, and probably you know a lot of evangelical churches grabbed on. It spurred some good thinking, some good programs, some innovative ways to reach people. And so there, there's a part of this that was really really helpful. But our warning to the staff was that you know, and this was the only value with the warning. We didn't we didn't warn them when it came to dependence and prayer. We didn't say, hey guys, watch it, make sure you don't overdo this one. But what we did want to say is, you know, this is one you could take too far. This is the only one we're going to give with a warning, and uh, and here's what we mean, is that if this becomes the goal, if excellence becomes a goal, then we've got a problem, and excellence is a means, it's not a goal. So we are trying to make disciples, Uh, we are trying to help our people love God and love others, and excellence can be a means to do that. But the defining question when we're done with with a sermon, with an event, with a ministry is not, was that excellent? It was that it helped us reach our our goal, our mission of making disciples. Now, it is absolutely one of the questions we can ask: Was that excellent? Did we bring the best? Uh, do we do we do the best with what we had? But it is not the defining question. And so, we just wanted to give them a, a bit of a history, and then also a bit of a warning about don't don't make this the singular focus of your leadership, of your ministry, of your kind of the way you interact here on staff. However. It's a great means to pull off these things that we, we are really, really passionate about. So anything to add there before we jump into the outline?
1: Man, just that I've I've seen you live this value in a way where your heart is right under the Lord for the building up of the body and not you like grasping to be, have notoriety or fame or make it about John or I hope I get pats on the back. Like I, I uh, see you live this, you've modeled it for our whole staff so i'm mm. i'm and i've i've just now thinking as i'm sitting here listening to you sharing this i'm like yeah dude you like you live this and you live it well
0: well thank you brother i hope i hope that's true i hope that's true thank you well, what if we, John, what if we just jumped into uh, the outline that we shared with our, with our staff yep. and, uh, and your first one really was more of a question than a statement, but it's just this is what is your motivation for excellence? It's the first question we should ask as we think about uh, the staff value. So I love your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So I think it's, as you say, what is the motivation? Like that's got to be the starting point and for it not to be the reason but it's a result. Or you might say it can be a fruit of it, but it shouldn't be the root. Like my root aim isn't like that I want to create something for excellence, just for excellence sake, but that the motivation is under the Lord. And for that, I like think about a warning. So in uh, Simon the Magist or the mag- Magician in Acts chapter 8, he saw the works that the apostles were doing. You know, he had a pretty good game with his magic show, had a lot of, of fame and, and people knew who he was and what he could do. And then the apostles roll in and, and miracles are happening through them. So he says, hey, give me this power that I might have it also. In fact, he offers to, to buy it. And Peter rebukes him. He's like, you need to pray to the Lord because what he saw in him what peter saw in him was this desire to be great he wanted the power he wanted the excellence for himself and not as under the lord and so a verse that can get that what is the motivation so that we set our heart right the root right for the fruit to be excellent is colossians 3:23 and 24 it says whatever you do and uh, let's just stop there like no matter who you are, what your function is, what your gifting is, what your station in life is, whether stay-at-home mom, you know, senior church leader, elder, administrative assistant, front desk, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Then this key part, so such a boiler statement, you are serving the Lord Christ. And uh, that right there, the motivation, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving Jesus. And so in that motivation, I think you get the essence there, like, I'm, what I do, I'm doing
0: for Christ. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, he deserves our best. And I wasn't a very good host. I think we had we had a definition that I was supposed to ask you about. Do you want to read that now? Hey, man, you, you asked me <laughs> if is, I had anything this to podcast add. On this so, podcast on excellence is not, uh, not flowing as it should. But here we are. Do you mind reading the yeah, definition? This is, yeah, this
1: is what we define as a staff. To whom much is given, much is expected. As stewards of God's resources... Our aim is to be found faithful in how we invest and use them. This includes our own skills and abilities, the physical and financial resources that we've been entrusted with, and most importantly, the lives of the people we are called to serve and lead. We believe that excellence honors God and inspires people, and every day we press on toward the goal that God has called us to. Now, here's what I'd say. That's a lot. That's like eight lines on my card. And I think you've got a boiler statement that's really helpful And that I've heard you say, it's doing the best you can with what you have for him. Doing the best you can with what you have. And there's excellence, but here's the motivation for him. And then another verse that I would just point to as we're talking about this and and the motivation is Ecclesiastes 9.10, which talks a lot about work. And Solomon writes, whatever your hand finds to do. So there it is again. It's like this kind of like full spectrum, whatever your hand finds to do do it with all of your might. So we know that, but then it goes on to say, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you were going. He's like, hey, now you're living. And so whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, because you've got a finite amount of time, and then you're gonna be dead. There's a shot clock on your life, all the days appointed to you, before yet one of them came to be. And and when I read that, and I was thinking about this with excellence, there's those old Renaissance paintings that we've all seen, like some old dude with a scrawny beard sitting before a stack of books and he's got a skull with a candle burning on it which is always like you know before I knew what it was I'm like man that is dark that's kind of twisted like he's got some I don't know who he killed and now he studies by lamplight of his head like that's pretty messed up and I don't know why we're celebrating this in the Louvre but uh What I came to find out was, is that that's what older theologians, scholars, they would do. They would have a skull with a candle burning on it in the Latin phrase, memento mori, which means remember your death. What they were doing in that moment is they were like, I'm going all in on whatever sphere of influence the Lord has given me because I know that I will not live forever. I've got a finite number of days. And so I'm going to live with intentionality and purpose and excellence because as he is, I someday will be like pointing to the skull. And so I'm going to remember the day of my death and I'm going to steward my days well in excellence for the Lord.
0: I love it. So yeah, life is short. We will be with our Savior forever, but here on this side of eternity, we serve Him. Yeah. So we bring, we bring our best, and uh, <laughs> that's the most you illustration I could ever think of is a skull with a candle in it that only only you would pull that out and start banging on the uh, dude. Uh, I want the, the tattoo. <laughs> You're going to get, what are the odds? What are the odds the next time someone sees you, you've got that tattoo?
1: Well, if it was just up to me, really high. But uh, 1 Corinthians 7 tells me my body is not my own and Laura's not about a skull and candle on my forearm. So, uh, TBD. It, okay.
0: I love it. But you can uh, send her emails. Yeah. Uh, Laura's good for you, I would just say. Um, so, Okay. That was uh, that was number one. Really, it's a question: What is your motivation uh, for excellence? So that's uh, that's where we started. Number two was really a, a a way to do that. How how would you do this? And so we said for number two was just always ask: How can we make this better? Hmm. Always ask: How could we make this better? And so that happens both before. You do something, if you're writing, uh, if you're planning an event, you're planning a message before, how can I make this better? I've got this much time left until this thing ships before I give the message, before we have the event. How can I make this better? You push all the way to the end. Then during, you walk around with eyes to evaluate everything that's going on and ask, if I was going to do this again, how how could I make this better? Uh, and then afterwards, you debrief. And so, if you're a communicator, you get feedback from people who are actually helpful, not just anybody. You get people. You get feedback from people that are helpful. And John, I know that you solicit feedback from a few people, and that's how you get better. If you planned an event, you ask people that were there. Uh, you get your team that put that uh, put it on, and you talk about one of the phrases we use is OFIs, opportunities for improvement. What are our OFIs, or uh, always a very, very simple way to run something, an event or anything through is what would I keep, what would I start, and what would I stop, and, which is to say, if I was do this again, man, how, how could I make this better? And there's there really is immense power, especially if you do something repeatedly. If this is something that's going to show up repeatedly, one of our uh, ministries we have is with a, a pre ministry, and uh, it runs... I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but I think, you know, 10, 10, to 12 times a year, you've got these different classes all, all throughout eight week classes or weekend classes. And I remember run, one time running some, some numbers and, um, just, just coming to the mathematical realization that if you did something 12 times and you made it just 6% better each time, So, which is probably above the waterline, not very observable, 6%. But if you did something 6% better 12 times, net-net, when you're done, you make it 100% better. And what what would it be like to have something that was good, but you could say objectively, this is actually 100% better than the very first time we do that. Now, that's going to take some work. It's going to take uh, you, uh, you having to put down some of your pride, thinking that you have all the best ideas, that you are the the best to do certain things. The team may tell you that you're not the best for that. You do this really well, but you don't do that. Well, then you got to decide: Do I want to make this better, or do I want to make this uh, about me? And you know, and John, there's lots of uh, people around here I think that embody this this value. And I told the I told the story. I won't mention the name specifically, but there was a young communicator here on our staff and there was rightfully so a lot of hesitancy. Uh, I'm not talking about you, but it was a lot of hesitancy to let this person ever speak anywhere. Like making announcements was risky. And the way that he went through his preparation beforehand and got feedback, and it sometimes, it, honestly, just beat up as people said that it's not clear you what are you doing why did you say that just to be really blunt and help him and then he would get a ruthless feedback uh, on the back end actually he would practice beforehand he would practice multiple times then he would deliver it beforehand get some feedback and then afterwards do what very very few preachers will do is ask for honest feedback and he would welcome and I would watch I sat in a couple of those sessions and people were so honest they didn't play Christian nice and you roll the, the clock forward. And so what was so fascinating is people go, I want to communicate just like this guy. I, how, can, how can I do that? And I thought, well, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. Before you deliver a message, you practice like crazy, then you get feedback, then you deliver the message, and then you get feedback again. And you do that over and over and over again. And you will wake up, and you will be an excellent communicator. But it was so hard. Not simple, but so Heart. And I feel like you and I've seen several people do really, really incredibly hard work to become excellent, either their craft or run a ministry, help help lead something. And it's it's honestly, it's, it's pretty inspiring. But the way they did that, the way you make anything excellent is you ask relentlessly, how could we make this better? Or how could I make this better? So-
1: 100%. Uh, I think it really matters what you've just said in our instant gratification culture. And like, we, we, want, we want the title, the position, the whatever, ASAP. And instead it's like, I mean, Jordan or Pistol Pete Maravich or all these people, they're like, well, what you didn't see was the 12 hours yeah. Yeah. and all the misses and all the refining, all the sweat, all the practice, all the coaching that's behind the scenes. And so what I, would, I think what I would say along with that is like to not get discouraged in the moment and to not take any of it personal. But instead be like i want to do the best i can with what i have for him and so that means knowing i've not arrived at whatever point i am and that i'm going to keep growing this side of eternity
0: that's so you know i just i didn't share this but i i, <laughs> I actually remember giving a talk around a topic that i'm pretty fluent in now and a good friend a really really good friend told me kindly but very specifically, the things I could change, that that, that was not very good. <laughs> and I remember he, he told me that, uh, he, gave me, he gave me some constructive feedback. He's like, you can make this better. This is, you know, we're talking 15, 16, 17 years ago. And I I didn't like it at the time. And I remember having a choice. Like I could fight him and say, nope, you know, this is the way I do it. Or I could see that as from God and uh, and begin to make those changes, which were hard for me. But I, I tried it at least the best I could work on those. And now it's something that's, by and large it's been a blessing to other people but i just i just had a flashback to receive <laughs> receiving this feedback and how it just kind of crushed me in, in some respect but it was it was part of part of the process of making something excellent and and if you want to make something excellent you're going to have to ask how can i make this better and you're going to have to ask other people and be open to the feedback that the feedback from people that again we've talked about this before on the podcast but that can actually help not not ones that wound you or really don't have any anything thoughtful to offer you so mm-hmm. surround yourself with, with thoughtful people so john number three we talk about you know what is uh, what does excellence look like Because we're trying to help our staff understand this hopefully help our listeners understand what excellence looks like as well you said to anticipate and over deliver mm-hmm. what do you mean by that
1: yeah anticipate and over deliver i think about it as um put yourself in the place of the one you're seeking to serve and so you know, if if you're hosting people at your house, you're gonna think, all right. They pull up, and um, what what that could look like is they walk through the door, and I'm like, oh no, um, let's see. I got some spaghetti noodles and a little bit of honey and. Uh, okay, I've got some Cheez-Its and um, what do we have to do? We don't have anything to drink. Would you like water with ice or without ice? It's like you you haven't thought about them coming. There's no preparation. Whereas otherwise, you know, there's the phrase nothing cleans like like company. You know people are coming over. You're getting ready. You know they're going to walk through the door. What are they going to smell? How are they going to be greeted? What are they going to see? What are they going to be offered? And so it's that anticipation and over deliver, whether that's your boss, whether it's people come into your house, whatever, again, whatever sphere of influence the Lord's given to you to anticipate the person's need and then over deliver. And we've been going through life of David on Sundays together Mm -hmm. as a church. And when I was thinking about this with excellence, I thought about the difference between Nabal and Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. And David and his men are, are out and they're hungry, famished, you know, men of war out Um, apart from where they live, and they come across Nabal, and they're like, hey, we're hungry, we need something, and Nabal basically just scoffs at him. And Abigail, you see this completely different response, where she gives them like hundreds of loaves of bread and hundreds of skins of wine, and, and raisins and clusters of grape like she goes all out and she sends it ahead of her in advance. She had anticipated the needs of those who were arriving and then completely blew their expect, expectations. She had five prepared lambs, like, like not just here's five lambs, like, you know, you butcher them, do what you want with them. She's like, I've got these like ready for the spit for you guys to turn on a barbecue. I know you're hungry. I know you've been wandering and just completely over delivers. And I think it's a great picture of us. You just put yourself in the mind of the one that you're going to host or serve or that you're leading under or above, whatever it is. And again, anticipate the needs and and then over deliver, like blow their expectations. And that will be seen as excellence. And again, not so that you can be thanked and, oh my goodness, you're the best host. Again, it's the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving as you serve as
0: people. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. And we know, we know what it's like to have um, someone or something that's over delivering and uh, how excited we are both to be the recipient of that and then how excited we are to tell other people about it, you know. And it really, it really is, uh, it's fun to receive someone, something, be in a restaurant and you go, that was so, so Far and above my expectations. Now I'm telling everybody, and you want that for whatever whatever it is that you do. If you uh, greet people, if you check kids in at kids ministry, if you teach a kids Sunday school class, if you preach a sermon, if you uh, you know lead in the youth ministry, just to, to have people go, oh, I wouldn't have thought it would have been that good, that thoughtful. That's what excellence uh, looks yeah. like. I, I was surprised on on the upside, you know, which a lot of times isn't the case in the church.
1: Dude, so Laura and I were at a CLC church. They come uh, annually. And so they had me up there to preach on a Sunday and we're visiting and we're staying at this hotel. No joke. The hotel, we get to the room and I'm like, Oh, Hey, you know, I think our maid or room service forgot to put the coffee in there. Could you send some up? They're like, um, we actually don't have any go to the front desk. I'm like, well, surely that's a mistake. Like the housekeeping staff doesn't have coffee. Like I'll go to the front desk. I'm like, Hey, we, we need coffee. And they're like, well, we have tea. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not British. We'll go for coffee. And they literally had no coffee in the hotel. I think that's illegal. There was no anticipation of like, all right, we're going to have guests traveling yeah. here at a hotel. We have to have coffee. And it was, it was painful, man. It's under-delivering. So the, under- the, the opposite, yes. yeah, it's like, well, I'll never stay there again. Yeah, that's right. So here's the thing. The, the hotel completely neglected the fact that we would be coming, no coffee, which is crazy. And yet this church... Um, who have become dear friends through CLC, Andrew Horton, John Driver at the church at Pleasant Grove. We show up into our room and whereas the hotel doesn't give us coffee, they have this spread like they completely anticipated our arrival and then wildly over delivered so much so that I had to repack my bag to even get the stuff home. It was like things for our kids, things for Laura. I mean, I was there to speak one time and the hospitality that we were met with by Andrew's wife, Julie, and the thoughtfulness of the church, cards and coffee and candy and snacks and food and breakfast bars, like complete anticipation and then over delivery, just an excellence as a way to love us. And so, I mean, I'll never forget. I've never been hosted that way in my entire life by these incredible believers.
0: Which really is is a real easy bridge into the next point that excellence builds trust excellence builds trust and then conversely we would say lack of excellence erodes trust so Mm. you're not going to uh, recommend that hotel specifically or that chain to anyone and in fact you'll tell your friends whatever you do don't stay there because of your experience and the same thing happens uh, you know in under your leadership or in the church right so what you do um you know whether whether you exceed expectations or uh, don't meet them, uh, will either build trust or it will erode trust in in you and whatever it is that you're involved with. But also, this is what I wanted our staff to know: is that what what we do because we're part of a you know the body of Christ. Uh, whatever it is that you do, if you do it well, then people automatically assume that everyone else at the church, everyone else on staff, everyone else that uh, is in leadership, every member is excellent as well. But no matter what environment you show up to, it will be excellent, right? So if they show up on a Sunday morning, you preach a great uh, sermon, John, then and, and the worship was good. They were greeted well. Their kids were well taken care of. They will assume then uh, the next the next day is Monday night uh, here at Watermark. That's when we have a recovery ministry. The assumption will be, that's excellent. 100%. That w- uh, yeah. That's excellent. Huh, I might go check that out. Mm-hmm. And if they had a, a really poor experience at every level on Sunday, their expectation would be that well monday is going to be more of the same i don't know that i would cancel any of my plans Mm -hmm. or make make an effort to go there so you're you're either building trust and in effect passing that gift on to everyone else that you're on a team with or uh, you're eroding it and in some ways costing them uh, in environments and situations that you will never be a part of even though they didn't have an opportunity to speak for themselves you spoke for them and, um, and so we just talked about that for a little bit, uh, what that would look like as a staff we've get, um, every week we get these first impressions. So someone can write anything they want to, um, you know, on a Sunday morning, we'd ask them, Hey, what was your feedback on the sermon? How can we pray for you? Is there any ways we can follow up with you? Well, if we don't follow up with that, with that person, someone who took a risk and put something there, they either electronically or, or wrote it out physically, they're going to assume that everyone, you know, at this big church doesn't really care and they won't follow up. Conversely, someone follows up, does an amazing job. How can I serve you? How can I help you think about a next step? Where are you uh, in your faith journey? How can I pray for you? How can I help you navigate uh, this big place? They're gonna assume that's the way everyone is. And so I, I just wanted our staff to know that it isn't just about you. What you do or what you don't do really impacts uh, all of us. And then there's also, you know, to that as a as a subpoint, excellence is contagious. I think when somebody on your team is doing excellent work or preparing excellence or delivering excellence, um, you want to do the same. And so you really do uh, not only pass on trust. You can uh, you can also help people find the next gear because of your excellence. So uh, that was number four. Excellence builds trust. Or a lack of excellence roads trust. John, you had the next one, number five, that excellence is costly. What do you mean by that?
1: Yep. Yeah, when I say excellence is costly, I, I think about the fact that every yes is 100 no's. And so if you're going to go all in on one thing, it means that there is diminished time, attention, resources going to others. And so you've got to know like where to put your chips, where to go all in, and what squeeze will be worth the juice. And so it's really, it's an investment and you can't give the same level of investment and excellence to all things, or it's going to lead to, it's going to lead to burnout. I've, I've got a preaching mentor here at the church and I always run my sermons by him and he gives me really helpful feedback. And he said to me recently over email, he's like, hey, not every point they're all good points, but not every point can be as important. They can't be equally important. There are some that are gonna be more. Like when you go gospel, that's not that's gonna be like ultimate importance compared to others. And so you've got to have a different level of investment of time and energy and tone and inflection on that emphasis because that's the most important. And so there's a there's a real intentionality to, all right, what where will I put the time, the resources? What is it that only I can do? What is it that our our ministry is called to do? Um, what is my role in particular, as you think about your uh, role on a church staff or within a ministry? <clears throat> and biblically, I think about the tabernacle and the temple, and, and the Lord gives such detail and specific instruction to the tabernacle and the temple, like really minute detail that frankly... I think a lot of even people wouldn't see, but God saw it, and so He's talking about you know the the tops of the columns and pomegranates and these really ornate details that I think people would have been like, does that really matter? And he's like, well, this is this is to so that I will be worshipped rightly, and it is a reflection of me, and so it does matter, and it was really costly. But then you see in in other areas of Scripture, and there's there's freedom, there's liberty, and there's not that level of detail, and so. When it comes to, to some things, God is really particular and it was really costly, whether it was the gold or the craftsmanship or the intentionality, the specificity towards it. And and to go like to the opposite extreme, and if you didn't if you're like, well, I'm gonna go that that level of investment in all things, it, it sounds right anecdotally, but what happens is is there's a diminishing towards all of it. Because you're, you're trying to invest—if if I spend four hours responding to an email, I could. It could be the most thoughtful email I have ever crafted in the entirety of my life. Like, it would be, you know, to say it ridiculously, man, you could publish that thing. But But that's not a good stewardship of, well, I'm also supposed to be preaching Psalm 40 on Sunday. And I think that's actually where the hours need to go for the body— And what I've been called to do in this email is probably 15 minutes. It's going to be an excellent email within 15 minutes, but it is costly. And so thinking through that.
0: I love it. I love it. Yes. Not everything can be excellent. We wanted our staff to know that doesn't mean we roll this out that we need everybody to work 80 hours. Uh, We want them to to prioritize, you know, spend the energy where energy could be appreciated, um, where the creativity could be observed, uh, where it would make, you know, a a real impact would move the needle, not just you know, uh, not, uh, not all things are created equal. And mm-hmm. uh, it, was a, it was a really good word. So uh, number six uh, here was, was one of the, as we started landing the plane, we just had this point here that it's candidly, it's just more fun to be excellent. Yeah. So if you're going to do something like it, it just is more fun to do it really, really well. And to, and you know what I mean by this humanly, like just, just to be proud of it, not be, not be uh, ashamed of whatever the, the work is that you did. Uh, but go, I, I'm glad I'm associated with that. Uh, and then also it's, it's more fun to be on a team uh, that's excellent as opposed to a team that's just kind of getting by. Even if you knocked off early, even if you went home early and uh, it wasn't hard, that's actually less fun than digging deep, being excellent and having something that you're proud of, seeing uh, the, the fruit of what it is that you put together. You know, If you prayed and you have thought and you have uh, dreamt and you execute something that's helpful, that is a lot of fun. Being on a winning team is a lot of fun. It's hard, it's hard, but it's way more fun to be excellent. And so I just wanted, uh, wanted our staff to know that, you know, both for them, it's more fun to be excellent. It's more fun uh, to create a team culture that's excellent. And for them really to, to bring their best, uh, to whatever it is that they, um, you know, are involved with and, and just to kind of this challenge to, to whatever it is, whatever your job title is, uh, whatever your area of responsibility, uh, to attack it so that uh, over time, uh, you have this mentality that I'm going to be the best in the world at it, which there is no poll. I I always pick on junior high youth pastors. I was one uh, once. Uh, there is no poll that that lists the top 25 youth pastors in the world. So you're not going to win the prize, but you just have that this sense of digging, uh, digging deep, bringing your best, learning, getting feedback, so that you know if Jesus, when you got to heaven, just goes, "Hey, I'm, I'm uh, effectively, I'm I'm proud of you. Thank you. Well," and what you want to hear is, "Well." done but for some people just that visual image of like uh, if there was a poll I wanted I wanted to be the best uh, in the world which you won't that mathematically you'll never be the best probably at whatever it is that you do but you if you attack it as such you will become excellent and make everybody else uh, around you excellent so um, so John I'm gonna have you close here in a second with the kind of the final charge that you gave our staff and you know so friends that's uh, that's six things that John and I pulled out we actually rolled out a longer one pager that had things about even, you know, excellence around our facilities. So how we take care of our facilities and what that communicates to, uh, to our body and to our city. So it was much more robust than the six points uh, that we just gave. And so we'll put that in the show notes and you can see that. Um, and this again was just one of the four. So hopefully this will be good uh, fodder for conversation at the team level. Hopefully there'll be a thought or two for you. But John, I loved the way that you closed. And, uh, and so if you would close this time as you did uh, with our staff.
1: So I asked our worship pastor if he would close us in a song when we were gathered together talking about this. And Lois, who I work with on the teaching team, I had her purchase enough of these items for our entire staff that were that were handed out at the end. And um, you can't visually see it, of course, on this. But what we sang was the Little Drummer Boy, completely out of context. You know, we're singing the Little Drummer Boy in the middle of October, September. Yeah. People are like, what, what in the world? Why are we singing this song? Like rub up a pum pum, what's going on? But we get to the line where it says, I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our King. I played my drum. I planned my best for him. And it's doing the best you can with what you have for him. And so everyone got a sticker, this kind of abstract of the top of a drum with two drumsticks on it that we could put on our computers, on your Stanley, like wherever, as a reminder that what my hand finds to do, do it with all of my might for him. That I will play my best, not so that I could be thought of as the best, but that I played my best for him as an offering to, for, and through him, that he is worthy Of this excellence as an offering to the lord and uh john i think about what you said about the the um the junior high youth pastor and best in the world and all that and in a sense it's like it's that desire and yet jesus isn't asking them to be the best in the world he's asking them to be the the best for the 25 kids absolutely that God's entrusted, like, hey, I've given you these twenty-five. Will you be the best for them? It's the, you're the only one they have. Like you say, like I'm, I'm the only dad my kids have, and so I'm going all in. Um, there's no other husband to Pam, no other dad to these kids, and uh, no other youth pastor in junior high for these twenty-five. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer my best for Jesus, for these kids, and it's a beautiful thing. And man, you sleep well at night.
0: I love it. What a great way to close. So friends, whatever it is that you're doing. If you're trying to move the kingdom needle do something good in the world we hold you in high regard and i do john and i both uh, would encourage you to play your best bring your best uh, for him and uh, trust him with the results it doesn't mean we'll even see results uh, but you bring your best uh, pursue excellence help those around you pursue excellence and I think I think you have a lot of fun a lot of satisfaction so friends thanks so much for listening and uh, hopefully there'll be something in here that's helpful as always uh, if you have any questions or comments ideas or future shows you can always reach us at clp at watermark.org that's clp at watermark.org we'll talk to you again next time